episode 80. We have done eight tenths of a century here on PGE. And welcome back as the Mets are the first team in baseball with 20 wins. The 20 and 10 New York Mets have an off day today. So we figure, you know, that's a doubleheader. We'll just do our thing on the off day. Jack Hendon is with me. I'm Sam Livewoods, as always. And the Mets, Jack, still nine series into the season, have not yet lost a series. The Mets took two of three in a rain-shortened series in Philadelphia this weekend after splitting a four-game set with the Braves earlier this week. It's good to be a Mets fan right now, Jack. It is. It's good to be a Mets fan. It's good to not be a Phillies fan. That was just uh... – that was, I, I still, I mean, it was great at getting the rainouts on Friday and Saturday just because it gave us even more time to watch those, those, those at-bats again. It was just probably, I mean, people have talked about it to this point. I think that's the best win of the year. I think it's better than the St. Louis win. I think it's better than the combined no-hitter. Um, God, I mean, Philly is just in shambles right now over it. I mean, that was just... Uh, Fantastic. I couldn't. It's happened to us. I think in the last episode, we teased the 10-3 thing in Washington, which was hilarious. If you look back on it now, because like, you know, we basically got the last lap or not the last lap. Right. But we got our own sort of taste of being on the winning side of it. And it was it's, great. It was so fun. It's oh, man, that win on Friday. I agree with you. I think it's the best one of the season. It's hard to contest it. I mean, yeah, we oh, it makes me so pleased to be able to say that through nine games against the Phillies. They played nine games already against these Phillies and they will play 13 times against these Phillies before the end of May. They've won six of three. They've taken two out of three in all three series they've played. They've no hit the Phillies and they had a seven run inning in the ninth inning down six on Friday. It's an incredible feeling to be a Mets fan riding this high, playing a, a Phillies team that improved pretty dramatically this offseason at least offensively a couple of really right. big ads with castellanos and schwarber obviously uh and before the um the lockout they added kyle gibson yeah. so uh, all things considered this this phillies team came in better than they were last off than you know than they were at the end of last season and yeah. the mets have really put up or shut up against one of their key division rivals and they they held their ground against the Braves this uh, this this week too, which is good. Uh, they could have played better against the Braves, but they were helped out by some fine pitching. We'll talk about Carlos Carrasco, um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that we're even talking about beating up on this Phillies team right now, I think, is great. They start a series in Washington this week after the off day. Then they get a very intriguing Mariners team uh, next yeah. weekend. Um, so things are things are in good shape for the Mets to at least win their 10th straight series to start the year. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're definitely due to lose one at some point. I'm definitely not. And they, you know, just as a Mets fan, you see them lose to bad teams like all the time. We could, you know, we're going to eventually lose one. So I'm trying to take it like step by step. And that way I get to enjoy each individual one a little bit more. But um I think that Mariner series coming up is going to be an enigma for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, Robinson Cano doesn't factor into it anymore. The Mets released him uh, over the weekend, so he's not going to be coming up from Syracuse anytime soon. He would rather not go there. Sam, I'm sure you're uh, upset that you won't get to see Robinson Cano in Syracuse. Yeah, lots of people want to avoid Syracuse at all costs. We're used to it up here. It's fine. Uh, yeah. The Mariners are weird. Uh, but yeah. you're right. I mean, they're 13 and 16. They started hot. Then they, they've been struggling as of late. They had a tough series against the, the Rays this weekend. They were able to squeak out a win. Uh, but they're fascinating. They're a really yeah. interesting team. There's really good pieces all up and down that team. They've got some, mm -hmm. some really young talent, um, especially, you know, both the offensive side. But nowadays, the pitching side to George Kirby. Who's, yeah, you know their top pitching prospect. He's gonna. We're gonna face him too, George. Yeah, Kirby. he's. I think he's started uh, slated to go that opening game against the Mets. Mm -hmm. He's got fantastic stuff. He put up, I think, six shutout in his major league debut against the Rays. Um, so they'll get him. They just sent Matt Brash back to AAA after he started hot. Um, he started to struggle a little bit, but he's another guy who's like ninety-seven to ninety-nine with a devastating breaking ball that looks like a wiffle ball and. 
Yeah, they got Logan Gilbert too. Gilbert has yeah. been phenomenal. Gilbert had his first kind of rough outing this season, but he was, I think, the American League ERA leader through April before he gave up four to the Rays over the weekend. Uh, and then there's obviously the storylines. You, you alluded to it with Cano being gone, but there's still players that were involved in that infamous trade that are still playing for both these teams. If Jared Kelnick bats against Edwin Diaz, regardless of outcome, the internet is going to break. Yeah. Well, at this rate, I think Diaz is going to win that thing handledly. Um, you know, you have the fact that Kalnick isn't really putting it together yet. But also, I mean, we talk about just individual performances on the Mets. Like Diaz in that ninth inning against the Phillies was almost as, I shouldn't say almost as impressive because seven runs in a span of 28 pitches is crazy enough. But Diaz being so lights out in Philadelphia um, was really, really impressive in its own way. I think he's really come into his own this year. Uh, he's come out of his shell. It's been fun to watch him. I mean, we talk a lot about how even when he does get the save, sometimes Edwin Diaz sort of struggles. Uh, you know, you go, let's guys get on base. The slider gets away from him sometimes, but it hasn't really been like that thus far. He's been really, really consistent. Um, the bullpen across the board has, has probably um, – done its best work over this series in Philadelphia. They're working on, what is it, 12 shut, twelve consecutive scoreless innings? Something like that. I mean, yeah, I'm up 12 four. straight. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. it up right now. 12 Eight. straight scoreless. Um, obviously, they're taking, they're taking a bit of a hit, leaving, you know, losing Trevor May, um, which is something that we could probably talk a little bit about because I think that there is some room in the bullpen itself to consider the possibility that things might go wrong. Um, I'm still a little confused by the, the tactics uh, that this that this team and management sort of uses with some of their guys. I think with May, this was clearly an, an instance in which he was still dealing with something and the team in failing to put him on the injured list the first time when he had the tricep soreness, they have uh, sort of snowballed this whole thing into a much bigger injury. He's now going to miss eight to 12 weeks. Uh, that's really not what you want. Uh, he was basically going to be their eighth inning guy. Now you don't have that. Um, Obviously, the good thing about it is that you do have Seth Lugo and you do have Drew Smith, who have been performing well of late. But then you also look at someone like Adam Adovino, who is disgusting, right? He's really, really good when he's on. And yet the, the, the use patterns with him have been really strange. I remember the first few weeks of the season, we maybe saw him twice a week at most. And then going into uh, the, the, the Wednesday game in Atlanta, in which they got blown out, um, he sort of took the brunt of that after basically, and that was his third straight day of work. Um, so I don't really know what they're doing there. I really hope we don't see another injury like that. Um, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of, I kind of spiraled off on a tangent about the bullpen there. Cause I think, yeah, I think that there's a lot going well for this team right now. Yeah, um, there, Diaz is going to win that battle. For yeah, sure. There's, there's a lot going on that's right in the bullpen right now. You obviously losing Trevor May for as long as he's going to be out for hurts a lot. Um, but one thing that it has allowed for is, is really the emergence of Drew Smith, who has not yet allowed a run this season. Yeah. Drew Smith has an ERA at 0.00 through, I believe, 12 and two-thirds innings mm -hmm. um, in his first 11 or so appearances this season. He's been fantastic. Jason Shreve has looked really, really good. Really good. Uh, I believe that he's – I think Mike Mayer tweeted something out that, that he's like – it, top 10 in baseball and strikeout percentage uh, among relievers or among pitchers period. Um, it's, it's, it's going pretty well for, yeah. for the bullpen in general. Joely Rodriguez has been fine. Like Edwin has looked great. I mean, obviously you go back to his first season in New York and half the reason that this trade has looked back so poorly yeah. um, by people who like to discourse it is because Edwin Diaz just wasn't that good in his first season in New York. We know he gave up a lot of home runs. He blew a bunch of saves, whatever. He did closer stuff. Uh, yeah. He had been so good for two years in Seattle that he came over and people anticipated him to be basically Mariano Rivera, and he wasn't. And that has that is affected how I think the fan base looks at Edwin ever since. Um, he came into the next season, and he – really wasn't even the closer, so to speak. I mean, it yeah. was kind of a wait and see if he's good again. And now he's fully back to being an elite reliever um, in one of the best closers in baseball. And it's happened, I think, very quietly, very much under the radar. He had his struggles again last season. They 
popped up every now and again. Uh, I think he was a guy who was hurt at least a little bit by the sticky stuff ban because his slider just stopped working after that point. But nowadays his slider has been fantastic. Uh, It was fully on display in the no hitter game. It's been on display pretty much in every at bat that he's been successful in this season, whether it's against the Phillies or anyone else, he's been fantastic this year. Um, Kind of with the exception of, the one blown save he's got in Arizona. He's been so, so good. And even that was a ball that, you know, on a different day and a little colder day in Arizona might not have left the ballpark. So who really knows, but uh, I'm not too concerned about the bullpen. I still wish that they had gotten one more trustworthy guy. We've talked, you know, in weeks past about Seth Lugo because he got off to a bit of a slow start, but he's been pretty solid. He's been pretty, you know, running the mill Seth Lugo, uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks now. So I don't think there's much reason to be concerned with Seth there. There's been some conversation among the, the columnists on the beat about maybe they should make, you know, an early season trade for a reliever. Uh, I don't know about that. That seems a bit much right now, but um, I mean, with the roster shrinking from 28 to 26, they're, uh, you know, an arm short now. And with Trevor May on the IL, if you could finagle it, you can try to finagle it, but I don't think that they would get anything of value right now. And um, you'd probably get gouged right now too yes, because of yes. the way the market is. Um, yes, exactly. So, so it's a risk. Um, yeah. What's What's tough is that I think it's not even the fact, because normally in a normal circumstance, I would say no circumstances, there are no circumstances in which you're trading for a relief pitcher right now, potentially not even circumstances in July if you just simply know how to develop relief pitchers. But the Mets don't really have that depth. Um, they added Steven Nagosik to the roster. Uh, and they – Yeah, I'll say this good. about Nagosik is that Nagosik's been fantastic in AAA. Right. And every report that I've heard about him is that his stuff has actually taken yeah. an uptick this year um, yeah. for whatever reason that is. So while it did come at the expense of Adonis Medina, who's been really, really solid in a long yeah. relief role, who's back in AAA now um, – they kind of did a flip-flop for them. Medina stayed as the 27th man in the doubleheader on Sunday, but yeah, they did option him in exchange for Nagosik. Maybe they're just trying to see if if they have anything finally right. in Steven Nagosik, who's yeah. been in the organization since uh 2017 when the Addison Reed trade happened. Yeah. He's well he's, right. I would say he's absolutely earned the call-up. I'm not I'm not pointing this out, such as to say that like they're already digging into the you know the bottom of the bin. I think that. If he has something, he's easily been the best reliever Syracuse has had this year. You got to try it. Um, but behind him right now, I would say there isn't really much else to, to look at because Sean Reed Foley is done for the season. He's a partial tear in his UCL. He's already been moved to the 60. It's a foregone conclusion. You're not going to see him this year. Um, I mean, Yoan Lopez might have one option left. So he, you know, he might come up, but if, is he really good? I don't know. Behind those two and then Medina, you don't really have anyone that you can call on, I think, to uh, – there's, there's the two vaguely interesting relief prospects that they've got in AAA, yeah. which are Colin Holderman and Eric Orze. But Orze is the guy that – well, Holderman kind of came on the scene in, in spring training, really, into the forefront mm-hmm. of people's minds because all of a sudden they had this guy who no one had ever heard of, unless you're you know, a prospect guy who was throwing 99 – yeah. Uh, in spring training and people are like ooh, who is he he's fine he'll probably be a half decent major league reliever i don't know if he's ready yet uh he just really got started in triple a this year but and, and orze is a guy who i think has been so so good in his minor league career since they drafted him in 2020 that you know he was a kind of a quick riser right. um and he's absolutely a guy who i think is going to be an effective major league reliever but also a guy who's not ready yet he has struggled big time in triple a i think he's given up like five home runs in his last handful of outings or so yeah. i saw him pitch on um tuesday i was at Syri- i was at the, the s mets game on tuesday i saw him come in and i saw him balk home a run which right. was interesting although i what i will say is that he was put in that situation because carlos cortez lost the fly ball in the lights that went for a double uh and then he you know the balk could probably have gone either way it wasn't a blatant balk uh, kind of similar to the Chris Bassett one where, you know, it looked like he, Oh my came, God. Yeah. Yeah. The Bassett he maybe, one. He maybe came to a full stop, maybe didn't come to a full stop. They said it was a balk. They called the runner home. 
And then to Eric Orze's credit, he struck out the next three hitters, which was neat. But again, he's had some struggles. There's been some growing pains in AAA. I think the splitter has kind of hung up on him. It's his out pitch. Um, but it seems like it's maybe starting to turn back yeah. in his favor if those three strikeouts mm-hmm. were any indication. So, uh, yeah, your point is that beyond the guys that we've seen this year and beyond yeah. Nagosik, not a whole lot uh, in the in the bin that you can pull from in AAA relief-wise. Right. Uh, and now the 40-man roster is full up because the Mets made a player move yeah. uh, on, on the waiver wire and uh, acquired um, Goske Kato, I believe is how you would say his name, mm-hmm. um, from the Blue Jays, who is an infielder. Um, yeah, new Blankenhorn just dropped, right? Basically. I mean, it's, he's going to say Blankenhorn. Sorry to Wyatt Young, but um, they yeah. got a guy who's probably a little bit better. Uh, well, Wyatt, Young, Wyatt Young's got the dog in him. Hey, know? Wyatt Young, why, that boy, nice. He nice. He's nice. He hit, he's hitting good. He's hitting he's, good. Listen, Jeff McNeil six. got here. Jeff McNeil kind of got here on a that boy nice, if we're going to be honest. Okay, but the difference between Wyatt Young and Jeff McNeil is that Jeff McNeil had been hurt a lot and then started hitting home runs. And yeah. Wyatt Young is, is five foot six. I don't think he's got one this year. Um, I don't think he's going to be hitting too many more of them. Um, but he is, I've seen him play a couple of times now. Uh, he's a cut and slash kind of guy. He can fly and he plays a decent shortstop. So even though he's got some detractors uh, and you and I know who those are because we talk to them on a pretty much day-to-day basis. Yes. Um, he, he's absolutely just an org guy, like Pepperdine grad, like college grad, mid-round draft pick. Um, like he's a depth dude. He's never going to be a prospect and he's just hanging around in triple A cause they don't really have anyone else who's capable of playing shortstop like Ronnie Mauricio is not going to come up and play shorts of a triple a because he's not ready to move past double a yet but mm-hmm. Wyatt Young is a guy who can just put the bat on the ball and yeah I mean he's been hitting 350 um so I'm I'm Wyatt Young pilled insofar as I think he's neat he's a short Hawaiian kid who can fly and puts the bat on the baseball which is cool I really hope to see him at this point, you know, at some point this year, but having established, like, I think the depth, right. Looking at the fringes. Cause I think we'd both agree that like in the case of the bullpen, right. As long as everyone stays healthy at this point, knock on wood. And as long as everyone continues which to is do no their guarantee, right. Right. Not, hence knock on wood. And if they yes, do their jobs, which again, knock on wood, um, I think they're going to be good. The numbers right now are good. The, the XFIP is like the second best in all of baseball behind the Dodgers. Um, you know, Shreve's stuff looks really good, right? Like I, I'm, I'm totally all in on what they're doing. And I think the same can probably be said of their hitters, right? As long as everybody stays healthy and they're not suddenly calling on a guy like Khalil Lee to get at bats, it seems like what they have going right now is working for them. But really like, let's say everything does work for them. So this, I mean, are they going to end this year with like a 667 winning percentage? Because you look at the teams to this point in the season, right, um, in franchise history, who have been this good through 30 games, they tend to do very, very well. We're looking at a lot of playoff teams. You tweeted this out on our podcast's account, by the way, go follow that at uh, the PGE pod if you guys aren't following it already. We're going to try to, as the school year ends and we both, you know, move off uh, into what's next for us post-grad, we're going to start making that account more active once again. You tweeted this, you tweeted this, Jack, that the Mets are the seventh team in franchise history to win 20 of their first 30 games at least. Uh, and those prior teams, 1971, 1972, 1985, 1986, 1988, 2006, all six teams finished above 500. Four teams finished with at least 97 wins. And, the, and three of the six made the playoffs. Right. However, the 1971, 72, and 85 teams – didn't make the playoffs as a result of the playoff format at the time. Had they been in a modern era with expanded playoffs, uh, they would have made the playoffs um, in those, in those settings. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a good group, really good precedent. The 86 Mets won the world series, the 88 and 2006 Mets came mere wins. Should have won. Should have won. Both of them should have won. Should have probably made it to the World Series, if not won it. Um, So these are the best starts in team history, and these are the best teams in team history, with the exception of 1969 and 2015. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, to an extent. I think people have sort of talked a little bit about like this team as sort of a, a reincarnate of the 2006 group, just because you have so many veterans on the team who have, to this point, I think accrued a, a lot of success and have at least, you know, even on their off days are still doing a very solid job of imparting knowledge on other people, right? I mean, Chris Bassett and Max Scherzer, we've seen what they look like when they don't have good starts, but we also know that regardless of what happens, um, it is a net, net, net positive um, that they are on this team in every sense of the word. Um, is, it yeah. a, is it a good thing? Yeah, this right. is, I mean, there's parallels for sure. Like Scherzer's the Pedro, assuming, you know, hopefully this time he stays healthy, but the old world Hall of Fame pitcher who finds his way to the Mets, uh, that's yeah, that's a pretty one-to-one comparison. I know 2006 wasn't Pedro's first season right. as a Met, but uh, yeah, I, I, Beltron and Francisco Lindor second seasons in New York mm-hmm. after a rough first season playing much, much better second time around. Even like Eduardo Escobar, I know he's been struggling. He could easily like be Jose Valentin. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because Valentin probably the power matches up. Um, it's yeah, it has been kind lights of out, yeah. Escobar, lights right? out closer, uh in, in Billy Wagner, Edwin Diaz, like Xavier Nady, Marcana, same thing. That's, kind of. Yeah, that's a pretty actually kind of lights, you know, that's a pretty good. <laughs> yeah it's just the power the Nady had a lot of power and they also gave up on Nady in the middle of the season which they shouldn't have done but like whatever um I mean what if Trevor May is the reliever who's out for an extended period of time that forces them to make a panic button trade or what if he's just like if Duan or Sanchez had been hurt and then came back oh maybe that that could be good I think that, that would be very fun that would be good it would be like the taxi thing never happened but yeah yeah, yeah, we're just kind of remembering a lot of guys right now. But Sterling it's Marte it's, and Cliff Floyd? Question mark. I think yeah, that, that could work. Floyd had a lot of injury problems that year, so hopefully we don't like encounter that. I'm trying to think of like where Nimmo sort of fits in in this, and I don't really know if he does. I think maybe like if you take some of Nimmo's appeal and some of Alonzo's appeal and you put them together, like you might get like a Frankenstein's David Wright sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Very I mean, nice, goofy white boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of goofy, kind of swag, kind of, but, but like very, very good. I don't know. Um, yeah, I okay. This is where the comparisons kind of start to break down a little that bit. Two thousand six yeah. team was a lot of veteran guys, but it also had a lot of star power. Um, and most of this team's star power is on the pitching side, um, because like as good as Alonzo is in you right. know, he just hit two home runs in a game in philadelphia like the power starting to break through for pete after there was a stretch where he was really only hitting singles um as good as francisco lindor outside of this slump that he appears to have busted uh has been this year yeah there's you know nimmo is not a bona fide star starling Marte is really really good and has been picking up lately is not a superstar um Mark Cann is not a star. James McCann, what can I say? Jeff McNeil's been great. Jeff McNeil's been great. Not a superstar. Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, studs, stars, all-world baseball players. Jacob DeGrom hasn't thrown a pitch this season, by the way, Uh, in case you forgot that they were doing this without him. Yeah, we do be forgetting Jacob DeGrom sometimes. We do. I mean, We haven't heard from him in a second. Yeah, the pitching staff's been so good, and Max Scherzer has done such a good job sliding into that ace role. He's been—I know he got had a weird start in Game One against the Phillies on Sunday, but like, he's been really, really freaking good. Yeah, I like—I mean, I enjoy watching him. Like, even on his bad days, he's still capable of just making a pitch that you're just like, how how did he do that? How did he get that over? How did he get movement on that? How is he doing this at a hundred pitches in the you know in the fifth, sixth inning? Right? Like, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I think the other sort of 2006 comparison, and it also sort of probably ties into teams like 88 and 86, is that like they would win games the exact way that this team has been winning their games. I mean, we talked, I think, I think it was the first weekend of the season when they blew that game to the Nationals. And I brought up like the concept of like the special loss, like the losses that like really like you should have won. You had no reason to lose. I would say to this point, there are two of them. There's the Nats game and the Phillies game. They happen back to back. Then they happen back to back. And they probably to this point have more wins that they just like 
stun the fan base by winning than they have losses that have been like that. And that's at something least, that is unprecedented. Least, yeah, at least an equal number because they've yeah. had the two astounding comebacks, the one in St. Louis and the one in Philadelphia. So those kind of even out the bad losses. Uh, you and I share the same concern, especially after we had back-to-back ones. That right. I, for whatever reason, pulled up a Word document, titled it the bad, what did I call it? The bad Mets loss uh, do- document, whatever. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what I call bad it. losses.doc docx. Yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, I was like, every time that they lose a game they should have won, I'm gonna write it down, and then at the end of the season, Jack and I will look back on all of them. Yeah, look at where they finished and see what could have changed. Um, and I did those first two g- games, those back to back losses, the Trevor Williams game in DC, which was the first loss of the season, and then the Seth Lugo blown eighth inning lead in philadelphia the following game and i have not written one in the document since it's been it's been like it's just been really really good baseball and i don't know who you attribute it to but i think that like you have at least like like what like six different people that you can just look at and say like this person doing their job this year is all the difference jeff mcneil doing his job this year has been crazy carlos carrasco going eight innings in a game that never happens anymore he did it and it was it was phenomenal we talked about diaz obviously a lot of people are going to credit buck showalter some people would credit i think tyler mcgill as someone who's really stepped up um you look at the offense right now and um it's sort of been a revolving door right because lindoris pretty much had it even in the slump he's hitting the ball hard Nimmo's been hitting the ball hard the entire year. He's been doing a great job. McNeil started to pick it up. But then you have like, you know, maybe one week it's Eduardo Escobar who's really hitting the cover off the ball. This past week, it was probably Starling Marte who was doing that. Maybe next week that person's Marcana. You know what I mean? Like it can, the door is open, I think, for other people to, to chip in. And I think that's something that's really special about, at least about this team is that um, it, it, it never really falls on like one or two people anymore, at least on the offensive side, uh, to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, but it's been really special in that regard that sort of, you know, you have at least like 10 or 11 characters who you can look at and say, you know, they're really like carrying us right now. They're a unit as they're a team. This is a team sport and they're playing like a team, which is fantastic. I mean, the, the second game in Philadelphia was really only one of a handful of games this year in which they kind of just hopped on someone's back. Yeah. Uh, which is what they did. you know, Alonzo drove in five hit two home runs. Um, also one of the only games this season out of the 20, they won in which they did it really with the long ball alone. Yeah. Um, this is not a team that's like at the top of the power boards in terms of home run output. Uh, and yet they're still 20 and 10. I think that the ninth inning comeback in Philadelphia is really, really, really indicative of the success that this team has had this season because that was literally a conveyor belt. That was one guy doing his job, moving it on to the next guy. Obviously, it started with Lindor's home run, but then you had Pete hit a double. Um, McNeil wound up on base following him. Marte or um, Canna drove home Alonzo with the comebacker with the single yeah. that, that banged off the off of a Cork and Abel's leg. Um, and then what came next? JD came next. I JD think it was JD. Was, JD came up and did his deal against JD. For, this gets lost in the shuffle. JD yeah. doubled against a guy who throws 98 with a hammer curveball. Yeah. Which yeah. is not something JD does. Is well, it was a with- pitch. It was JD's pitch to hit, but yeah. still, I mean, you look at the numbers this year. JD coming up, I think that was his first at. It was a pinch hit at bat too. It's like, you know, is he really going to do it? And he did it. Um, that was great. That made it seven five. Then Nimmo comes up. Yeah. After Dom struck out, Nimmo comes up, bangs a two run single to center on a hanging curveball, ties the game. Marte comes up, first pitch swinging, hits one off the fence. That if these balls weren't so stupid, it's a homer. Yeah. We can we've been we could say that like at least once a game. Oh yeah, I, I mean JD JD Davis hit a yeah. ball on, on Sunday that he hit on the screws and it didn't even make it to the warning track. Right, and it was like an ex, expected batting average of like eight seventy or whatever it was. I mean these these balls are wet socks like they're they don't go anywhere. Um, but we could you know wax poetic. We could talk about Eric Chavez and his comments about the, t- the team thinks that the balls that are used in nationally televised games, you know, are 
are the juice baseballs and the ones that they use in normal games are the dead baseballs, whatever. Um, I could see that being a possibility. This, this uh, administration is really, really stupid with baseballs. And the most yeah. important part of the sport is the equipment that they use. And it's, it's dumb, whatever. I digress. No, I think you listen, they got to take account. They got to take responsibility for their actions. I think that's what I, that's, what's most important is that it's about, it's about the players. They need to do that. They just gotta, they gotta kick it in the ass. And, and, you know, that's my miles Michaelis impression. Um, Next week. We'll, when we do the miles Michaelis thing, I'll eat a lizard uh, on the zoom call and I'll down it with Red Bull and we'll stream it. Look that up, by the way, because that's real. He did that. Yeah, um, Miles once ate a lizard while he was. What was that? The balls are stupid, though. Was they, that when he was with the Padres, or was that when he was in the minors? That was. It was like in the. It was in like the fall league when he was on the Padres, and like one of his teammates just filmed him doing that. It must have been like 2012 or 13 or something. Like before it was pre-Korea. He, yeah, it was before he went off international. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I hope Miles Michaelis pitches again against the Mets next week when the Cardinals come here, and I really hope that the Mets take him to town. Um, yeah, going back to the game in Philadelphia. Yeah, sorry. Full, full disclosure, I wasn't watching because um, they fell behind seven nothing. And yeah, I Taiwan saw, got Taiwan got tattooed. Yeah, Taiwan laid a goose egg. Uh, no, he laid an egg. A goose egg would be a shutout. He laid an egg, um, a rotten one, in which you know he gave up the home runs to Harper and Castellanos and looked bad in general and gave up a four spot in the first and settled down a little bit and wound up giving up seven anyways. Uh, Marte homered, which was neat. Yeah. Made it seven one. I said, okay, this is still not worth my time. Cause if you're not watching at first pitch and then all of a sudden it's four, nothing, don't turn the game on anyways. Why would you do that? Uh, it's a right. waste of your time. Uh, and then I saw that they started mounting the comeback in the ninth inning. I was getting the notifications on my phone. Twitter was starting to blow up about it saying, this is interesting, blah, 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 blah. And being the good former high school baseball player who is superstitious that I am and the superstitious stand, uh, superstitious fan that I am, I said to myself, self, let's, uh, let's just hold up and not turn this game on yet. Cause I don't want to turn this game on. And then they immediately, you know, make yeah. a couple outs and the ball game's over. Um, I'm not going to turn this game on until the Mets have at least tied it and moved on to the bottom of the ninth or taken the lead. So I didn't. And then they took the lead and I turned the game on and I watched the bottom of the ninth. It was a good bottom of the ninth, at least, you know, yeah. you got to see the good part. It's, it's actually, it actually takes like, it takes a lot of guts, I think, to not watch them like do the really, really cool stuff in Philadelphia and then be like, all right, I'm going to watch Edwin Diaz try and get the save. You know, like that's <laughs> yeah. where I start watching. Cause in Philly, like, I mean, remember the Reese Hoskins game last year where he like basically almost, he came within like a half inch of tying the game. Um, I think of the Gene Segura game too, uh, like in 2019, where like he that didn't run out. That was He's had mix. bad moments. He's had bad things happen to him in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, that was the game in which Todd Frazier hit a home run in the top of the ninth to give them. Yeah, like I extended the lead, and people we were like, "All right, we're good." Edward yeah, went and close it, and then he gave up like five in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It happened. That was like that was like in the midst of Edwin Diaz we were talking about earlier, right. who just like screwed up at every inopportune time um and gene segura hit his 100th career home run over the weekend against the mets he only hits against the mets at this which, point when they said that that was his 100th i was astounded because to me first of all the guy's been in the league a decade mm-hmm. i was like that's only his 100th i feel like he's hit 100 against the mets yeah i would have guessed he was probably in the 150 neighborhood I want to look up his career splits. We're going to keep talking because I need, I have some, because I did watch the whole game. I actually, I had most of it on in the background before the Marte home run. And once they got on the board, the Marte home run was actually crazy too, because it was a 3-0 count and he took ball four and the umpire called it a strike and called him back. And like Marte was like visibly annoyed that this pitch had been called a strike. And then on the very next pitch, he hit the bomb. So that gets slept on a lot, that, that detail, because the umpire may have just been the reason we even opened the door at all to win this game. Um, umpiring was terrible this weekend, right? But like, that's that's the first thing. I also think it kind of gets slept on how big that comeback was because they were not only down seven to nothing at one point in this game, but they have lost the prior game nine to two. 
So they were really staring down the barrel of back-to-back blowout losses. And they just said, like, that's not going to happen. Like, everybody put put it together. I think when JD hit the double, that's probably for me, like, I think this game reminded me a lot in a lot of ways of their comeback in Washington, um, where they were down 7-1 and they beat up on Drew Storen. And for me, it was like when Cespedes hit the bases clearing double and made it like seven to six. I was like, okay, yeah. they're going to tie this game, right? Like when JD, feel, yeah. yeah, when JD hit that double, I was like, okay, Nimmo's going to come up and they're going to tie this game. He's going to get, he's going to find a way to make this happen. This is the best matchup possible. It's going to work. I didn't think Starling was going to untie it, but I think that the fact that like that hit parade just kept going and going like so much about that, you don't expect to happen much less as a Met fan. Um, they were 0 for their last 330 in games in which they trailed by six runs or more going into the ninth inning. Um, it's the fourth time in team history that they've even won a game in which they entered the ninth trailing by six runs. And they played, they've been in that scenario 867 times. Um, like it was a 0.2% win probability when that inning started and they won the game. There are a handful of other just complete abnormalities about what happened. Um, but it, I mean, just, just watching it, it was, it really was, and I could not stop watching it afterwards. The rain out was just the best gift imaginable because I got to enjoy that for two days, two whole days. Yeah. I, I watched it on repeat. I mean, I didn't watch the game live, but I absolutely watched that entire ninth inning front to back as soon as I physically could the next morning. Um, which was a lot of fun because yeah. it's a, it was a wild ninth inning. Um, the double that Marte hit was first, it was really, really cool. First of all, like he's yeah. such a cool dude. I really enjoy watching him play, especially when he's playing well. And, and he has been lately. Yeah. He really has been lately. His average is up to 275, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, 265. I was close. Um, I mean, his OPS is up to 111. Um, so even though his OPS in 709, He's right. still been 11% above average. Um, in terms Balls of the don't work. Um, yeah, the exit velos broke. Yeah. Um, however, he's so cool, he did not even give us a second to breathe after Nimmo had tied it. Yeah. Because he went up there and said, we just tied this game. We've scored six. If I get a first pitch fastball, I'm going to yak on this. And he did, and he yeah. hit it 400 feet to left center off the base of the fence. And Nimmo, obviously, with two outs running on contact, scored easily. Uh, this uh, this team, I just, I really like this team. They're yeah. they're fun. They're really fun. And this is like the first, I think, really fun Mets team that we've had in a few years, at least since 2019 when they went on that run yeah. after the trade deadline. That was, I think, the most recent incredibly fun stretch that we've had as a fan and we've got this month where they've won every series they've won two out of three every pretty much every single time uh and they've won 20 out of 30 to start the year yeah i'm just i'm just riding it out i'm having fun i people you know still the non-mets fans in my life still keep trying to josh me around and say right you know it's the mets it's the mets they always start out hot they always start out hot and then they they falter and you, we said it earlier, they've only started this hot six times. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, what we also did, I think, last year was we did, like, I thought last year's team, this time last year, was very fun. Um, and then things didn't end up going so well. So I'm still trying to, like, tread lightly on that. But Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, but it's, there's a, it's a, the, a flip side of the coin is that I have that conversation right. with the non-Mets fans in my life. But then I have conversations with Mets fans in my life. I had one today yeah. that – he said to me, when are we buying world series tickets? I said, his name is Tim. He's a good guy. I said, Tim, it's May. Yeah. It's, it's still early May. It's May 9th, by the way, May 9th. Happy birthday to my dad, Nate Lebowitz. He's a listener of the podcast. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Dr. Lebowitz. Um, 58. Congrats, dad. You made it thus far. Uh, and thanks for listening. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I told Tim, I said, Tim, it's May 9th. Like, just keep riding it out. Keep winning baseball games. Like, I, I give the same answer to Mets fans that the Mets yeah. give to the media when they're like, great start. How you feeling? They haven't won anything yet. Yeah. We're just having fun right now. Right. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, it's been probably the best. I would say it's probably been the best month 
to be a Met fan since that streak in 2019, I would say. Because it's really like the proportion of like in like unfathomable wins to backbreaking losses. We just don't see them right now. You just haven't, they haven't been doing the Mets things to lose games, but they've been winning the way that I think in history, when we talk about like Met miracles and like amazing moments, like they're pulling those up. Like that win is going to be number one on amazing finishes. Mm-hmm. When we have amazing finishes 2022, like that thing's going to be on Mets classics oh, for 20 yeah. years. I got to bring up the, uh, the, the how the Twitter community has been yes. lately because it's been so good. The it's, Mets Twitter responding to those end of game final score tweets that the Phillies, yeah. you know, put out after losses uh, this weekend have the, the things that this fan base comes up with are so funny. Uh, and I know that every fan base does the, the memes at, at the yeah. bottom of those tweets, but my favorite has to be, and you just, you know, you reminded me of it. My favorites has to be the, the, your loss will likely be featured on Mets amazing finishes 2022. Yeah. And it's the picture of that Mets classics graphic, like the blue and orange, like, like, yeah. like remote control thing or whatever it is. And it's just, it's, it's perfect. I think we have a certain brain, you know, Met fans just have like Met fan brain. Yeah. Um, I saw what the, I saw one today. Someone photoshopped the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness uh-huh. logo and changed it to Tomas Nito and the Nitoverse of Madness. He had a which, good team too, Nito, and he needs those teams. But yeah. That yeah, I want to like pull some of these up now because there's have so you seen Doctor good. Strange, by the way? I did see Doctor Strange. I have not seen it yet. I, I called a I called a baseball game at Lemoyne College here in Syracuse, which is the alma mater of Nationals pitcher Josiah Gray. Very cool. Uh, <laughs> on Friday, I had Doctor Strange tickets at eight fifteen. The game that I called it was a doubleheader. I called the second game started at two forty five, roughly in the afternoon, and it was such a long game. I had concerns about making my time uh, to see the movie because it was a yeah. the Lemoyne won that baseball game over pace. 20 to eight, there were seven home runs uh, and lots of walks. It was one of the longest games and definitely the highest scoring game I've ever called. Um, but that was still neat. I liked, I liked the movie. It was, I had a right. blast with it. I have, you know, if we're not a Marvel podcast or anything like that, I'll let my friend Liam, who actually has a Marvel podcast, do the Marvel podcasting. But yeah. um, I, I will say that Maybe not the best Marvel movie of all time, but I had a blast with it. It is absolutely a Sam Raimi movie too, which is cool. Yeah, that's good to know. That's, a, yeah, I'm always intimidated to like start with the Marvel movies because it's almost like, I feel like it's almost like you you would need to start somewhere and watch like, what, maybe 10, 15 movies before you can really get into the next one. But like, yeah, yeah. most of, some of the movies have done a better job of like sort of, decontextualizing themselves so that other people can see them i will say this one is not a movie in which you have to have seen everything there are definitely some things you need to have seen um like it's basically a direct sequel to wandavision okay um um but then wandavision obviously has a lot of background context for previous you know movies and stuff i don't know i'm a big marvel guy i'm a big comics guy in general i read comics i like comics my prime the podcast that i listen to the most um is an x-men podcast which yeah. is first of all an outstanding podcast it's called cerebro it's really really well done um but you know i'm the baseball guy and my m- number one podcast is about x-men comics so that's uh something that i don't often get to talk about but yeah i mean i i've kept up with the mcu throughout my entire adolescence i'm always up to date on that stuff um yeah but it, I understand when people say that it's gone too far or there's too many characters, too many things happening because it's definitely intimidating for someone who is not like me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm graduating this week. I'll have time. I'll figure it out. You know, both of us graduating. That's going to yes. be, we yes. can like do whatever we want. We're not going to be, uh, you know, I mean, we got jobs, but we're, you know. Yeah, no guarantees. More finals. Yeah, I finished my last final today. We, I Congrats. Had, Com law, communications law, um, last big final. And after the class, a handful of us went to the bar and had a beer to celebrate our last final in college, um, which was neat. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess no guarantees on an episode 
next weekend because Jack and I are both graduating college uh, next weekend. So we will try to have something, I guess. We'll talk about that more. But don't be surprised if there's no full episode. Um, And then we'll be right back to it the following weekend. Um, I don't know. We're running out of Mets things. We're diving into MCU chat. So if you want to remember some guys, we uh, we can go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'll say it right now, and I don't care who knows it, Miguel Cairo. That's just my opinion on the subject, just Miguel Cairo. And I know that, like, some people, like, I might get canceled for that. Like, I know that, you know, the woke mob is, is super, like, you know, down your throat about what you can and can't say. And, you know, the thought police, they try to stop me. But to them, I say Miguel Cairo. Okay. Remembering Miguel Cairo. Okay. The Yankee met Yankee, Miguel Cairo. Yes. Miguel Cairo, who had appeared in 100 games in 2005 to the tune. Guess his OPS. Guess his OPS, if you don't have it in front of you. In 2005, he had 367 plate appearances. They gave him 100 games. He was, if you look up their roster on baseball reference, he is their starting second baseman from 2005. Kazma couldn't hack it. They needed they needed someone else, man. Kazmet Suli only six twenty sixty five OPS sixty five OPS plus, man. Just, but he had he played yeah. a lot of positions. He kind of he I don't know. I mean, he didn't really last after that. He was kind of a guy that sort of bounced from team to team, and he was like that dude who was like, yeah, I'll play second base, first base, shortstop. You know, I'm trying to think of like what the. Because he's he wasn't really like Jonathan VR because Jonathan VR actually like had, had power, um, but maybe along the lines of like, hmm. Now I gotta think about this. Come back to me, because I I don't think there would be many Miguel Cairo's these days. It's sort of an outdated right, thing. Like a right-handed with like a right-handed uh, utility infielder didn't really yeah. do anything particularly well. Oh man, he played for a lot of teams. Yeah. Well, they had Chris Woodward too, like at the same time, who did like the same exact job. And he's been, uh, he's been in the, uh, the discourse. Yeah. Well, yeah. He shouldn't have said that that about Flavor Torres. You never, as a manager, should ever say some shit like, yeah, well, that home run doesn't count. Yeah. He, uh, if you're missing the context, Chris Woodward is now the Rangers manager and in his time as Rangers manager has said some dumb shit. Um, like when Fernando Tatis hit a grand slam and then Chris Woodward threw at him, um, and then defended it. Um, that was neat. Um, basically in this current Chris Woodward, dumb comment discourse, the Chris Woodward verse. Yeah. The multiverse of Chris Woodward. Um, he said after Glaber Torres hit a walk-off home run for the Yankees against the Rangers on Saturday, I want to say, uh, that because Glaber Torres hit the home run to right field at Yankee stadium, that, it's ridiculous. It's a little league ballpark. It's a ball that would, you know, would have been a routine out in every other major league field. He said this it's on the right. Actually untrue, by the way. Fully factually. untrue. If you, uh, there's an account that says that's a, it's called Would It Dong. It's a yeah. really nice account. It's a cool account. It, it takes long flyouts, doubles, and home runs and compares them um, to across every ballpark and tells you if these, these, long fly balls essentially would have been home runs in whatever ballparks uh yeah. glaber torres's home run would have been a, a home run in 26 ballparks right it was a home run it was it was a well hit ball it was it a, was a fair home run so yeah. and also with the way the balls are like if if you're hitting a home run it means you pieced it like yeah. you don't like get lucky hitting home runs right now no you don't uh and so chris woodward actually issued a retraction Right. Like the following day, once he had, you know, realized that, first of all, he called a major league ballpark, little league, little league field, um, mm-hmm. and then also just was fully wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, you, know, you said it. You can't unring the bell. That's the you latest thing. By the way, Chris Virgin, the olive oil. Chris Woodward um, listed on the 2005 Mets roster as a first baseman. Now that's weird. That is weird. That is weird. He's not a that that. Okay. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, actually, real quick. I'm going to yeah. pull up his, his fielding statistics. They had, like, Mankiewicz at first, and then after Mankiewicz, it was Mike Jacobs. So I don't know why this there is, would ever be any. Yeah. Okay. He – actually, this is so fascinating. I think of Chris Woodward as a middle infielder. 
Yeah. Chris Woodward only appeared at shortstop seven times for the 2005 Mets and at second base five times. Jeez. He, he played more outfield than he did infield. Oh, boy. And he played more first base. Well, more outfield than infield besides first base. He was a first baseman in 34 games in 2005. And he was an outfielder in 23 games. So that's Chris Woodward. Are we remembering Chris Woodward? He was not my guy, but he can be. Well, who was your guy? We can have a third one. I was going to challenge you. I was going to raise. Okay, first of all, I want you to close the 2005 Mets roster tab if you have it open. I don't have it. I don't have it open. Okay. I want you to put it out of your mind if you just saw it. Yeah. I raise your Miguel Cairo, and you just mentioned him. I give you Doug Mankiewicz. I want you to spell Mankiewicz. Oh, easy. Dude, this is like, this is my sport. It's M-I-E-N-T-K-A-I-E-W-I-C and then Z, right? That's Yes. I got it. Let's go. Spelling you got bee it. Champ. Spelling bee champ, dude. That's incredible. I would that not is have gotten the, yeah. that on my first go. That's it, incredible. You got That's, listen, you, you really have to know your guys. Um, but not he must not have been very good if Chris Woodward was spelling him all the time at first. Well, he must have been hurt for a portion of the year. He only played in 87 games. That might, yeah, okay. That, that's that's plausible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Also, Doug a guy who played for a whole bunch of teams. Doug they got him because they couldn't get Delgado, right? Like, yeah. it was the first offseason they tried to get him, but the Marlins signed him. And then after the Marlins back. signed him, they, like, traded him in one of their, you know, fire sale salary dump things. And They, uh, they, they acquired him on January 27th, 2005, from the Red Sox in exchange for um, minor league – first baseman slash right fielder, Eric Bladdergrown. That's I don't know name? if I'm pronouncing that right. It's it's blade, right? Mm-hmm. The word blade. Yeah. With then an R at the end of that, blader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then G-R-O-E-N. Bladdergrown. Oh, so he's like Dutch or something. Um, well, Is that Dutch? him out of Colorado, so I don't know about well, he's not no, but like that's like a like a Dutch sounding name. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know that much about the minor league guys. But no, Doug Mankiewicz, didn't he? Um, didn't he like catch the, the last out in the uh, like when the Red Sox broke the curse, and then like he tried to keep the baseball. Yeah, he absolutely. I mean, I think he stuck it in his pocket. I he absolutely did catch that yeah. last out. He caught it from Keith Folk. Right, but then he like refused to like give up the ball. Oh, is that a thing? I think I think so. I, I remember reading it like on his Wikipedia page one time, but I'm not was, gonna I'm not gonna part, he was part of a four-team trade was Doug Mankiewicz. Uh-huh. When he got to the Red Sox, he was part of the Nomar trade. Oh wow. He was part of the trade that sent on on the deadline of 2004. It sent Nomar and Matt Merton to the Cubs. It sent Orlando Cabrera from the Expos to the Red Sox. It sent Francis Beltran, Alex Gonzalez, and Brendan Harris, former Twins legend, to the Expos, and the Cubs sent a minor leaguer to the Twins. So it included it was the Twins, Red Sox, Cubs, and Expos. Four-team trade that sent it. Mankiewicz went to the Red Sox from the Twins in that. So that's fun because you don't see four-team hmm. trades ever. No, that's yeah. We didn't. Well, let's see. Now they had that three-team trade like a long time ago, but I don't. Yeah. Well, they had the Lucchese trade with three teams too, right? Yes, but this was a four-team trade. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any four-team trades. That's that's wild. Trades okay. and trades used to just be like just guys, like no prospects, just my guy for your guy. Let's do it. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This I'm having a blast on his. Baseball yes. page, by the way. Can you guess his most similar batter? Like, you know, the similarity scores they do on baseball reference? Yeah. His most similar batter? This I, is, I don't think I could, but it's yeah. Another who? guy. It's a more recent guy, too. Uh, what position? First base. Left handed, right handed. Left hand hitter, bounced around a bit, uh, and wound up being a guy that a team acquired and hopes to acquire a good friend of his. 
Oh, Yonder Alonso. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. He is. He does have very Yonder Alonso tendencies. He had like no power, which is yeah. Some some other yeah. interesting names on this top ten list of similar batters. Doug yeah. Davidge. Number two is Sid Bream, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, slide in the home plate. Yeah. Um, Pirates Braves legend. Yes. Um, and Casey Kochman's number nine. Casey Kochman. That's another guy. Dude, similarity scores are goaded. It's like, it's it's the They're best so kind of comparison tool between eras. They're so fun. It really. Um, I'd have to look at Cairo stuff. Also, the Segura line, because I said I'd look it up. There's, he, his, he's got 11 career home runs against the Mets, Gene Segura. And that's the most that he has against any team. Um, yeah, that tracks. He's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 330 average, 369 on base, 536 slugging. That's the second highest OPS or third highest OPS against um, that he has against anyone. He's got like a 907 against the A's and a 930 against the the Rockies um, or 920 against the Rockies. But he's so yeah, he 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 kicks our ass, Gene Segura. That'll continue yeah, I'm, to happen. I'm looking at some similarity scores now for Cairo. Yes. And I'm just seeing like number 10 is Jerry Hairston. Yeah. Positionally, Although, that is track. Is Jerry Hairston senior or Jerry Hairston? It's Jerry Hairston. Yeah. It's the Jerry Hairston we know, the more. Yeah. Junior. Um, that's number 10. And like, there's really not a whole lot of other names that I know on this list. Um, like, number one is Bobby Adams, who is in his 70s. So, right. I don't think that that's a. A guy. And Jerry, Jerry Coleman was his most similar hitter by age at age 26, um, who I believe went on to, you know, be a big broadcaster, right? This was the, I believe that's the Jerry Coleman who broadcasted Padres games all those years. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't know, but that, that's, that sounds like it tracks. I know that with my inspiration for Cairo OPS wise was that I saw a statistic that was like so bleak about the state of hitting right now. Yeah, it's here. It's lifetime OPS. Um, 672 Nathie Perez, 673 Unieski Betancourt, 675 Miguel Cairo, 676 MLB teams in 2022. This is as of Thursday. Oh, yeah. Isn't that just the worst? I saw that tweet. Yeah. Like, that's just bleak. Imagine populating the league with Miguel Cairo's. Yeah, things are like bleak. Really cool. dimension. I hope they just like change the balls out to a normal baseball under everyone. What was wrong with like the 2018 baseball? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Before you juiced it and before you had to fix it, what was wrong with that ball? It doesn't have to be juiced. It doesn't have to be dead. Give us just a normal baseball. Yeah. People never thought about the baseball until like 2019. Yeah. And now it's all everyone, anything anyone ever talks about. And I'm sick and tired of it, Jack. Yeah. I don't want to think about the baseballs when I'm watching baseball. Yeah. yeah. I just it must suck them. for a pitcher, too, to have to switch them out all the time. Yeah. You no. Know? And you don't get your sticky stuff anymore. I mean, yeah, it. they seem to be doing fine without it, given what the OPS numbers are. But, like, I'd rather just the game be honest. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's weird not that they continue to lie about it. And then there's the aspect of, like, if they're really, like, trying to – tamper with these baseballs through season play like if they don't actually know yeah whether they got a good baseball or not and they're like futzing around every year trying to find a good middle ground yeah that also seems like bad i mean that's like if mcdonald's basically issued a statement after changing the the hamburger meat like every year and being like we don't actually know what's in the hamburger we don't know what we're making do you guys like this one? Do you guys like this one? You guys let us know if you like this one and we can keep it. Yeah. If it sucks, we'll try next year. You know, instead of, instead of, you know, experimenting and testing and doing focus groups with, with it before it's out in the public, like we can, we can tell how baseball travels without putting it in games because, you know, you can shoot it out of a ball launcher or whatever and see how it travels. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like there's, yeah, I know. There's ways, I catch it. I catch I feel like you. there's workarounds. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's I good. That's, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. I think we're starting to 
go off the rails a little bit here That's on episode good. 80 of pge jack any uh any anything else to add for the good of the cause uh yeah Mets Mets good uh yeah Mets Mets good it's it was a really really good week and uh this week should uh should be good too who are they playing what's their deal it's Cardinals this week right no it's Cardinals next week we got okay. Nash, we got a, a set in DC and then they come home for the Mariners and Cardinals all right yeah Patrick Corbin tomorrow doesn't seem like we have a starter we'll see who it is yeah the Mets who are good that's what the green man often says this was fun episode 80 of the pleasant yeah. evening podcast is in the books he's jack hendon i'm sam lebowitz and mets fans have a pleasant evening